both of my teams actually like I was on we had a professor call this morning and at the end I was like okay don't kill me and all of them were like what have you done and my salon team is used to that also so anytime I my salon team is the testing grounds for what we teach in our curriculum at Rich Life CEO so honestly like I tip my hat off to my team because what they agree to endure affects thousands of people that they're never going to get to meet. Like it could almost make me really emotional because I see other salons where they have their stylists that are making a hundred thousand dollars the first time in a year. And I know that my team had something to do with that. Like, I know that that stylist that works in New York or California, I know that their children get to live a different life because of what my team has done. And that. That's like the ultimate fulfillment ever. And it's cool because I wasn't really aware of that until other owners were the ones saying that to me. I had one, and it's actually Professor Aaron. She's the one, we were on a call and two of her service, uh, service providers were on this call. And she's like, isn't it cool that what you've done affects his children? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool but I look at my team man and I, they are the ones where I come to them and I strategize this whole thing like this spreadsheet that has like 671 rows no shit when I created tailored pricing when I like really cracked the code on that it was 671 rows long Hey friends, I'm Jennifer, and you're listening to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast, a podcast for beauty industry providers and business owners that are wanting to level up their game to create a profitable career. If you're feeling stuck and you want more out of this industry, then join me as I share with you my strategies, lessons I've learned along the way, and how I overcame fear by shifting my mindset to build a healthy business. I built a solid book behind the chair, launched a bridal company, became a salon suite owner to most recently opening up a salon. As creative entrepreneurs, we need an education that empowers us and makes an impact on helping us raise our standards. My mission is to teach you how you can reach your goals quickly, build your books and your business faster, and master the framework for creating a successful and rewarding career. Thank you for joining me. Let's do this. Welcome to your Game Changer Podcast. Welcome back to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Alvarez. Today, I have a really special guest that I'm so excited to have on today. She started in this industry 16 years ago and opened up a salon in 2013 and just celebrated her nine years as a badass business owner whose motto and legacy is to positively impact people. She started small and grew her way to make big moves great success as she has taken industry professionals along the way to salon ownership and is the creator of PIP University. Welcome to the show, Heather Manuel. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I'm super, super stoked to be doing this podcast with you. I think, thank you so much for being on the show. And I think that the first time that I encountered you and what you're doing, I want to say it was through Clubhouse. And I'm like, who is Heather? Who is who are all these professors who are just speaking so eloquently and with, you know, they're articulating the way business should be and how we should be thinking. And ever since that, I 
virtually met you, I've just been like obsessed of all the the new ideas that you're sharing in this industry. So I'd love to pull back the curtain and get to know Heather of, you know, what, what that was like of going 16 years ago, being in this industry to 2013. What was that like to open up your, your salon business? Mm. Mm. Great question. And to be fully transparent, it was one of the most devastating things of my life truly. And it was the hardest thing I have ever, ever, ever done in my career because I came from a wonderful salon and I started with that salon the day that they opened. They opened in November of 2008. I had just graduated school. I was the only apprentice that was hired for $7 and 50 cents an hour. And I had to bust ass. I mean, I had to work so hard to prove myself, to prove that I was good enough to take clients. And I was at that salon for five years. It was a fantastic salon. I always say like, dude, I had the yellow brick road as someone that started at a salon under extraordinary leadership. And I did not want to leave that salon. I never really wanted to own my own salon. I mean, I would love, I would have loved to have been an owner and opened a second location. But when I first started, I had no hopes and dreams of being, I'm going to go on to start my own salon and eventually create worldwide education for our industry. Like that was a big old hard no for me, but That is what happened because the owner just wasn't ready to do a second location. And she knew that I was very driven and I had a very big vision for my life. And then we started to see some differences in the way that we believed a salon can be ran. And ultimately my vision for what I wanted became different from hers, which is totally cool because she's the one that gave me the platform to to see what success could really look like for myself. And I will always pay homage to that. And so when I had to leave, you know, it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely freaking terrible. And I had many people around me, you know, I was doing $250,000 as a 24 year old behind the chair in sales. I was only behind the chair for four years. And my, I mean, my prices were so low. So I was hauling ass for sure. And that would be a very big loss to that owner with me leaving. And many of my friends and family were like, this is business. You need, this is business first. You need to do what you need to do to make sure that you can start this business efficiently and you've got cash flow. But, you know, I come from, um, I have a very big background of, faith and I love Jesus. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this the way that Jesus would do this. I'm going to do this the right way. And the way I would, would it would want it be done to me. And so I'm going to be transparent with her. I'm going to tell her I am going to go start my own salon. I had plans to do it like three months, um, later. And one thing led to another, I got invited to leave the salon a lot earlier for reasons that I completely understand didn't necessarily understand then, but it all worked out the way that it should. And the thing that, you know, when I reflect back on that the most, I just can't imagine how hard that was for her, not only the finances that I was bringing, but the relationship 
that we had built so much trust, so much respect for one another, but then also how proud I was of myself and the way that I left that company. I mean, I did it with my head held high. And when I can tell this story, looking back, I have zero tolerance, zero tolerance for this industry when people leave in a way that is less than that's the first part. But the second part is when owners put people in a position to where they have no choice, but to leave behind the owner's back. And so when we get all freaked out and scared and we're living in scarcity and we're like, no, they've got to go. It's like, well, hold on a second. And we want them to be honest with us. No. So we can just turn around and let them go right away. That's a quick way for them to do all this behind our back. So that whole situation leading up to me starting my beloved neat beat was the hardest, the hardest thing I've ever went through career wise, but it was also, gosh, it taught me. It just taught me so much about character and your character really comes out when shit's bad. A hundred percent. Like, do you feel like, you know, starting out your business and, and really not having maybe all the plans in place, what was those things that were the hardest? And, you know, you say you have a big vision for your life. I'm sure you kept your eye on the prize the entire time. Otherwise, you know, how would you be where you are today without that vision, vision mindset, you know, but what was the vision and what was those, those challenges that you had to overcome? Well, at first, I think it was just in the emotion of what I was getting ready to do. And I was going to be by myself. Like, yeah, it was, it wasn't easy by any means, but like, I could do it with my eyes closed where we had seven chairs. We had six chairs in that salon at the time when I left. And there were several nights where I would have five guests in each of the chairs and other girls would not be busy, but my guests would be filling those chairs. I had a different assistant with me every day and I would train those assistants. And I was the only one that had an assistant. And then I had a phenomenal guest happiness team that booked every appointment for me that controlled the wait list that help me sell my retail. I mean, and I was leaving that and doing all of that on my own. I mean, it is almost impossible. And I only worked three days a week behind there. It is almost impossible for me to keep up with the infrastructure of carrying that much revenue on my book and me doing it by myself. I mean, no, it was impossible. There was no way that I could have sustained that type of workflow and the volume of what I was doing, not just financially, but quantity of people and do that by myself. I had a full team around me, incredible team. And that just goes to show that when you're a one man show behind the chair, you're capping yourself on, on so much, way more things than revenue, but you're totally capping yourself. And I quickly realized, I remember the first like three days in my, I was pissed that I had to do a suite. This was back in 2013. And it was not the popular thing to go have a solo salon and be in a two person room. And my ego was big. And I was like, man, fuck this. I wanted <laughs> 1600 square foot salon, not this old rinky dink, whatever. And woo, I was humbled. And I remember the first three days in there, I thought I was drinking water out of, a, out of a water hose. I mean, my guests were coming in and I just could not do all of it because then I became the me, the assistant, the guest happiness team, the person that's doing the confirmation calls. But I hired two people starting from the very beginning. 
paid him $8 an hour. Cause I knew I could at least, I didn't know anything about finances. I knew that I could at least pay my tip money. I'm like, worst comes worse. I can give him my tip money. And then quickly, just because of where I came from and the structure that they built, I was able to mimic that and get educated myself and then build on top of that. But the, the hardest thing and the most devastating thing was just the emotions of all of it. And then realizing that I was alone and that all these people that I was going to start hiring, they didn't know anything. They, they did not, not only did they not know technical things, they didn't understand. I didn't, I had to cultivate their way of thinking. I had to cultivate my vision so they could understand it and then buy into my vision as if it was their vision. And I didn't know how to do any of that shit <laughs> at all. <Wow. laughs> you just got to figure it out. I yeah. can totally relate because when I started um, my business, it was 2016 and I started out in a, a suite and I did not want to go there. It was kind of, it just, it is what it is. And at the same time, it, you know, looking back, I'm like, it gave me the opportunity to slow down to really figure out what am I doing? What do I want to create before I can go faster with it? And um, it's very, it's very lonely in the suites. And yeah, you cap yourself out. You can only take so many people. And if you're in a 200 square foot room, you can only have so many chairs and so many people before the the traffic is out of control, you know, but sometimes people have to step on that stone first before they can go to the next, uh, Yeah. And now I totally think that that is the way to go for the vast majority of people that, you know, become salon owners, because me doing that, I was able to start debt-free. I've never been in debt before. I've never, ever had to take a loan out for my company. I mean, we're, we just celebrated nine years and we've been completely debt-free the entire time and any we've expanded twice. So now our salon is 5,000. We started out 200 square feet. Now we're over 5,000 square feet. And every time I did that, I was able to, you know, pay cash for all of that. And that would not have been the case if I would have started any other way. What were the, the tools or experiences that allowed you to understand and really grasp the financial aspects of salon ownership? Mm. I think right now in my life, this is probably one of the things that I am most passionate about. Like if it was in the top three, because my ability to feel dumb, have no idea what I'm doing and sit in front of my computer for eight hours a day and feel so stuck, my ability to do that is psychotic. Like I, I, I will make myself sit in front of something and it, I hate it. I hate every second of it. I don't want to do it, but I don't buff with that stuff. Like I'm not over here trying, I don't scroll on social media. I don't, like we were just talking about before we got on here. Like I don't get on clubhouse and listen to things. I say no to so many things and it's so hard to do that if it's stuff that you really want to do. And then knowing that what you are going to say yes to sucks. Like you don't want to say yes to that. I'd rather freaking get on Amazon and buy $200 worth of crap I don't need or figure out what new stations I'm going to buy at the salon 
me learning finances in the way that I know them. Cause I mean, I know, and to be really honest with you, this isn't just me. This is a handful of the other professors that we have at Pip University. Our, our ability to break salons, company expenses and their PL and know exactly what that salon looks like on a day-to-day basis, just because of their numbers is extraordinary. And the only reason we're able to do that is because we embrace the suck. We, we are not afraid to do things and not receive validation or not have the results for a year. Our delayed gratification is impeccable. And so for me learning that stuff, I mean, I graduated high school with like a C average. My mom was like, baby D equals diploma. You have to graduate. I bought into this narrative that I wasn't smart at all. And so me having that past thinking definitely affected whether or not I could learn finances. But I was like, no, you're smart. You can learn this and it's going to suck for a year and you're going to feel dumb. You're going to feel stupid. You're not going to want to do it, but you're going to freaking do it. And that's how I learned everything that I know is I don't mess around with stuff that is a distraction with stuff that seems like it, it could be the next best opportunity because it's not, it's not going to be the next op- best opportunity. It's not going to make me money faster. It's not going to get me to my dreams faster. There's only one thing that's going to do that in the fastest way. And it's actually really damn slow still. And that's sitting down and doing the work, but doing the right work, not necessarily the work that I want to do, but doing the work that's going to create the results that I want. And sometimes that stuff sucks and it's hard. How, how did you, how do you know if something is that shiny object or that distraction versus this is what I do need to say yes to? Mm. Sometimes things can be very, you know, that's a million dollar question right there. It really is. If you're looking at something there are several answers to this, you know, and I'm not going to pretend like I know all of them. I can just speak from my experience because I, we just had a year two retreat for our Rich Life CEO students. This is the first time that we've ever been together face-to-face. We put on, because we don't do anything in person. This was the first time. And I closed out the retreat with talking about um, something called essentialism. It's a book I read in 2016, total game changer. And then I read it the week before the retreat in a day, read the whole book in a day because I wanted to refresh my mind because I knew that this is how I was going to close out the retreat. And it talks about, in essentialism, it talks about the disciplined pursuit of less but better. And we're not talking about a minimal lifestyle here. I like nice things. I like, I have a beautiful, gorgeous dream home that I was just able to move into because of the hard work on the right things that I've done the last 10 years, but in essentialism and it's speaking to the disciplined pursuit of less, but better. It really talks about almost, this is so crazy to think about almost everything, almost everything that's on our agendas is noise. Doesn't matter at all. It's trivial. And there is only a few things they call it the vital few that are really going to make a difference in your company. It's like the Pareto principle, 80% of the work that you do only produces 20% of the results. So what essentialism says is the first thing that you get to do is explore. You get to explore tons of different things. So it takes an essentialist a lot longer, actually commit to the thing that they feel like is priority and say no to the shiny object. 
it takes them longer because they are exploring all their options. They're weighing out the pros and the cons. They're seeing the likelihood of success when I invest my time into this. What is the payoff really going to be? And is that payoff going to fix my bottleneck? So they do that. And when they explore, they land on, like for me, I'm always looking in my business. What's the thing right now that is highest priority because it's creating the biggest bottleneck in my business. So for example, if I look at my salon, this whole year, we've made so many big changes and we made a lot of them in January. And every time you solve one problem, it just introduces you to another one that you get to solve. So we made some huge, huge changes and our utilization tanked. And it did not, it tanked more than I had formulated and hypothesized that it would tank. All last year, we were at 85% utilization for the salon as a whole. And this year so far, we're off like a 55% utilization. Never in the history of my business have we operated that low. But the crazy thing is, is we are averaging 90 to 92,000 a month at like a 55% utilization. It's in, so it's like all the stuff that we've done has created this revenue on the book. Now we lost clientele. Yes. But we also hired five new people that just went on the floor in January. So it's going to tank our utilization a little bit. I know that's the biggest bottleneck right now at my salon. And so the only thing that I am focused on is building utilization. I'm not focused on anything else, just utilization, which really comes how we do that is through retention. And so retention is actually the thing that we focused on all year to ensure that we're able to keep all of our guests. So I'm not interested in focusing on anything else in the salon. If a girl brings something to me, I'm like table that because until this is worked out, we have laser focus. And so that really is you explore as many options as possible and you look at what's causing the bottleneck. But here's the thing is many people don't sit in their businesses long enough to, to even think about a bottleneck because they're wanting to get to success in the fastest way. So they're always dabbling. Ooh, I should start this business or I should add this to my business or I should add this to my business. And I'm just like, I don't do that. Like that is, I do so many things wrong, Jennifer. I mean, like I have terrible at follow through, terrible at follow through, terrible at sticking to a schedule. But the one thing I do not do is I don't try to add a bunch of different things and switch context because I think this is going to work out better. If I look at something and I start it, I'm like, I'm in this for the next 10 years trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm going to be laser focused on this for the next 10 years. So I have my salon and I have Pip University and I have never veered outside of those two things. I've never started anything else. I've never even entertained. There was one time this real big wig in the industry, I won't mention his name gave me an opportunity. And I said, yes, because another big wig reached out to me and was like, you're going to say no. And I was like, yes, because I'm committed to my businesses. He's like, you cannot say no, you've got to say yes. And I said, yes. And I immediately regretted it. I immediately regretted it. And lo and behold, it worked out because he had to drop out of it anyways. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Cause I only wanted to focus on my businesses, but I would say that's, that's the way exploring, figuring out what your bottleneck is then really, if people don't know what the shiny object is, I'm like, none of it shiny. It's all going to be hard. All of it is going to be hard. And the more things you say yes to, you're just delaying success for yourself. The biggest thing that I took away from it, essentialism, and I know I'm talking a lot here. I'll be quiet after this. This is the thing that like oh, made great. me fall on my back when I read this. I remember I was in my backyard laying out 
2016, 2017. And it said, when you first experience some success, so to our, to our year stu two students, I gave them the analogy of like, when we were all becoming hairstylists before we were owners, we were laser focused on becoming the best hairstyle that made the most money. That's why I became so successful so fast behind the chair because I, I didn't have people reaching out to me like to offer me things or to ask me to do things or to ask me if I wanted to partner in things. And nobody knew who I was. So I didn't have any opportunities. It was like, I've got to make this shit happen for myself. And so I was laser focused, like a sniper, becoming the best hairstylist that I could. But what happens is, success ultimately can become the catalyst for failure because once you do, and this is so true, once you experience enough success, people come knocking, people want in on it. People want to have calls with you. People want to do podcasts because you've got great information to share. People want to partner in businesses with you. They want to have you on their stage. And although that's great, it's wonderful but we get to be responsible with the things that we say yes to, because if not, you're fulfilling somebody else's agenda and you are saying no, and you could be saying no to something that is top priority for you. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something. So you need to make sure that the thing that you're saying no to isn't a part of your heart's desires and going to get you to where you want to be. And oh gosh, that's hard to do because then you deal with, people thinking that you think you're better than them because you say no. And it's like, dude, that's not it at all. I'm just laser focused right now. And I don't, I, I don't want the distraction. And then you have to deal with FOMO, you know, like being left out fear of like being left out because you're not on stage. Like Jen, a really good friend of mine. She's a professor with PIP university. She is all about wanting to be on stages and wanting, you know, her name to be out there. And I love this about her because it helps PIP university out a lot. I did that for five years. I mean, I did that from 2015, 2015 to 2020, five straight years. I did that. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. That that's not what I'm, I'm trying to build a billion dollar empire, a billion dollar empire. And if I'm over here traveling and being on stages and being all over Instagram, it distracts me from being able to build the infrastructure that's going to get us to a billion dollars, you know? So it's tough to say things. It's tough, but it's necessary. Well, and since you know, then too, Meet Beat, PIP University, these are, these are the two things that are going to create the business that you vision for. So everything else, yes, is shiny and hard and is going to make things more difficult for you. And I think that's a, a good way to look at it, you know, of, of, just pick one thing or two things, as long as they're, they've got some synergy and just stay in that lane and really, you so, know, yeah, focus on becoming yeah. the master at that. hundred percent. And if you could just one thing, just one thing, like me doing PIP university also, was it the best decision? I don't know, but I do know that my time gets to be split between my, my salon doesn't, I probably work on my salon five, six hours a week. Like that's it. My salon is self-ran. I'm a thousand miles away from my salon. So I'm in there once a year, but it still does require 
me being in that visionary seat for sure. But I work the majority of my hours on PIP University, but like I'm telling, I look at salon owners and I'm like, do nothing else. Get out behind the chair first, get out from behind the chair, unless you love it. But if you love it, like bring down your hours, build the team and then go behind the chair full time. I could be behind the, if I lived in Louisville and I wanted to be behind the chair, which I definitely don't want to be, I could be behind the chair 35 hours a week because my salon is self-sustained. I've got CEO, vice president, COO, a di directors. Until you have that, you've got to build that foundation of leaders that can self-run the team, that create the retention, create the revenue, all that. But for salon owners out there, I'm like, only focus on that and only focus on the shit you don't want to focus on. Focus on the shit where when you're sitting in it, you feel so dumb because that's the stuff that needs your attention the most. And I know what I'm saying right now is like the hardest thing in the world. I mean, and I hope that our listeners are taking massive notes or revisit this podcast because you are just leaving us with so much valuable information. You know, one of the, what's so cool about you, Heather, and with Pip University, uh, Rich Life CEO, is that you are not afraid to make mistakes and you are completely open and receptive to what happens if we do this. And I think that that is what it takes in business is it's, it's not necessarily saying we're going to throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks, but it is more so like I'm testing real strategies that maybe have been used in other business models that we're going to see if that strategy would work with us. And it's just constantly this like testing and tracking. And for the fact, That's all that, it is. yeah. And for the fact that you're able to take your utilization and say, we may take a hit, but we know that we need to add more team team members, you know, like you talked about retention and utilization. And I think that we're hearing a lot lately about client retention, staff retention, and quiet quitting and recession, like with all of this conversation and the, that major shift and risk that you've taken in January, can you just, can you speak a little bit more about that as far as like, what was that risk like? And and what information have you gathered that is helping you overcome this so that you can get to where you want to be? Gosh, you, man, you're asking such good questions, Jennifer. So I, both of my teams, actually, like I was on, we had a professor call this morning and at the end I was like, okay, don't kill me. And all of them were like, what have you done? And my salon team is used to that also. So anytime I, my salon team is the testing grounds for what we teach in our curriculum at Rich Life CEO. So honestly, like I tip my hat off to my team because what they agree to endure affects thousands of people that they're never going to get to meet. Like it could almost make me really emotional because I see other salons where they have their stylists that are making $100,000 the first time in a year. And I know that my team had something to do with that. Like, I know that that stylist that works in New York or California, I know that their children get to live a different life because of what my team has done. And that, that's like the ultimate fulfillment ever. And it's cool because 
I wasn't really aware of that until other owners were the ones saying that to me. I had one and it's actually Professor Aaron. She's the one we were on a call and two of her service uh, her service providers were on this call and she's like, isn't it cool that what you've done affects his children? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. But I look at my team, man, and I'm, they are the ones where I come to them and I strategize this whole thing, like this spreadsheet that has like 671 rows. No shit. When I created tailored pricing, when I like really cracked the code on that, it was 671 rows long. And I got my direct all on a call and I was like, this scares me, but I think it is our ticket. I think it is the ticket to change the industry and we get to be the ones to try this out first. And I have no idea if it's going to work. I have no idea if this is going to blow the company up, but we're going to try it. And the extent in which the risk factor, how high that is gets to be dependent on what you say you're willing to do. Cause they're the ones in there executing the stuff and man, they're just so ride or die. They're like, all right, let's do it. Once they see the data, cause they are trained to look at the data, not base things on emotions. Our guests going to feel like that's too expensive or our girls are going to be scared to charge that prices. I don't give a shit about that. We should be strong enough to where we are not our money mindset. Our wealth mindset does not listen to that. And we are looking at data and perceived value of what we're offering. And if somebody thinks that that's too expensive, then what do we get to do to where they don't think that that's too expensive? And so our, our team, like when I did that with tailored pricing at the beginning of the year is when we bottlenecked ourselves last year, we were going into holidays, it was the beginning of October. And I realized in October that 60% of the hours that we had scheduled for the rest of the year were already sold. So we only had... 40% of hours available to even book in October, November, and December. And if those hours were booked at our highest rate, which is our extension rate, if they were booked, all of them, which would not have happened, we still wouldn't have hit our goal. And I was like, oh, this, we're not doing this again. I'm raising up because 70% of our hours were being booked with haircuts, which was our lowest rate. So in January, we raised our level one haircuts were $80. So it's basically $20 every 15 minutes and we raised them to $116. Now that's $116 for the hour. So they went from 80 to 116 and we got rid of tipping. We became a no tipping salon and we got rid of double booking. So three huge changes. Well, my payroll skyrocketed because we got rid of tips. Every person on our team, we took over what they were being paid in their tips. So we added that to their hourly pay. So nobody got a, a pay cut. And then we, we had hired five people and that's definitely the ultimate reason that our utilization tanked. When I look at what we did month to month and it started off really great, April, May, and June, we hit over a hundred thousand dollars, which, you know, is, is pretty normal for us. But then when utilization really started tanking and I hear, you know, this recession stuff a lot, for me, it's like, and I guess this is where experience really does help. I mean, I have been doing this for nine years, which I'll look at that like it's not that long, but it, but in some senses it is because it's not that I've just been in this for nine years. It's what I have done within that nine. There is nothing that has been placed in front of me that I have not been like, we're going to do this right now. We're, we're going for this right now. Every single thing that has scared me to implement in my salon, I've done it all. And when you build 
number one, a backbone like that, it builds endurance. Like I'm able to endure really scary shit because I've done so much scary shit and I haven't died yet. And the business hasn't blown up yet. So now it's really like, there's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to blow us up or together. We're not going to figure out how to get past it because my brain has nine years of past evidence that shows no matter what happens, we're going to freaking figure it out because we're smart, we're innovative, and we work really hard on the right things. And that ultimately, my faith is just so big. And what do I want, what I want to accomplish at my salon and with PIP University, the faith outweighs the fear tenfold. And when I get like in my darkest, loneliest hours, and trust me, there are plenty of these where I want to set a match for that bitch, both of them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done. This is so hard. It's like this, this thing that doesn't quit. And a lot of salon owners are like this. They just don't focus on, on it enough. This thing that it just doesn't quit that it's like, no, I was born for this. Like I'm never, ever going to give up. The only way that I will fail and not arrive at where I want to be is if I give up. And ultimately, like I look around at my life and the life that I get to experience and I really do live like what I've always dreamed of. Like if it's, if everything stopped right now, Well, okay, I wouldn't be okay with that because I, I do want more, but like, I'm pretty damn happy, you know? And there, there's a lot of goodness that comes with that because it's not like I'm always reaching for the next thing. I do have so much gratitude and, and space for where I'm at right now, what I have accomplished so far. That also helps to keep me going. And it's it's very cool that you say that too, because it's it's like once you get to where you have visioned yourself to be, it's like, okay, what next? And especially if you are on this path of, I want to be able to change the industry. I want to be able to help as many people as possible because you can make money in this industry. It For whatever reason, it's either just not absorbed. The education's there. I just don't know if it's being absorbed and in, in being implemented into the businesses to really change. Totally. Yeah. So yep. I love having these conversations and this is why I have this podcast is to really just shed more light on the possibilities that can happen in our industry. I, I would love to know more about what this looks like. You have a business in Kentucky, you live in Houston, right? And you're a salon owner, a 5,000 square foot salon owner with CEOs, CFOs, leaders, managers, employees, vice president, vice president. like that has taken some time. What, what, mm -hmm. a, what does that look like now for you? And um, is there any advice that you would share with somebody yeah. who maybe wants that too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, it looks like messy mastery. <laughs> Like we sound like, so like awesome. Like we've got a CEO, a CFO, vice president. Yeah. And we're messy as hell. I mean, if, if people that listen to this, I, the, I'm like me and my team, we are way more like you than we're not. There's, there's definitely some, some distinctions there. Yes. But the similarities we share outweigh the things and how we're different. And honestly, I, I say this, Jennifer, like it comes down to extreme trust. Like the people that lead my salon, I have Rachel, 
who's the CEO, Danielle, who started with me on day one. She's like my, they're both very, very good friends of mine. Danielle is like my middle sister. She is still behind the chair, but only two days. She does all of our training, all of our development of people. She is the right-hand man to Rachel, my CEO. And what's hilarious, they, Danielle started with me day one. I hired Rachel three months later, nine years ago. So they both both been with me from the very beginning. Rachel and Danielle, who lead the company together, they strongly disliked each other for the first seven years. I mean, the, the amount of times that both of them try to get each other fired is hilarious. And I am, me and Danielle are really best friends, but me and Rachel have always had this like strong respect for each other. Like I love Rachel so much. And me and Rachel have become very, very close as Danielle and Rachel have become close. Cause now Dan, Danielle and Rachel are best friends. They lead, the, when I say best friends, sounds like I'm throwing that out there lightly. I have like handful of friends in my life and like three of them are my best friends. And it's been this way since the beginning of time. They are best friends. They run the salon together, but they used to like really not like each other for a long, long time. But when I moved to Texas, I was like, y'all need to stop. This, this company is going to crumble, crumble if y'all can't get your shit together and set your egos aside. They both felt like they didn't really, they wouldn't really like each other, but me knowing both of them very well, I was like, and this is for any owner out there that has leaders and those leaders butt heads. It's like, get over yourself. You are not important here. What is important is all of us together in this team and you yourself, we're nothing like by ourselves. What matters is what we are as a whole and your ego is in the freaking way. And I have zero problem talking to both of them like this. <laughs> and honestly, they have zero problem talking to me like this. But then I've got Kiara. She's been with us since she was 16 and she's the vice president. She's 22 now and she is amazing. She does all of our recruiting, all of our hiring for us. And then Preston, who is like main behind chair and she is our chief quality officer. So CQO. She like looks at our guest experience, the quality of our reviews, the quality of our consultations, all that stuff. It took me the moment in your, in your company where you feel the most insecure, where you feel like the company doesn't need you. And many owners never let this happen because their ego gets in the way. They want to feel needed. And I totally get that because it creates, for a year, I was a mess. I didn't know my spot. I felt very insecure. I felt like I wasn't needed anymore. Like I was going to get pushed out of the company because I wasn't, I had moved to Houston, but because I have such a strong level of trust with those four girls, really my whole team, but those are the four girls that I know the best and I've known the longest. And I would literally cut off my right arm, all of them. I had so much trust in them and they had so much trust in me. I was able to let go of things. And many people probably hear this, but when you are a salon owner and you want to make all the decisions and you've got to have your hand in everything and any other idea that somebody comes up with and they want to execute it and you don't think it's that great of idea idea and you cut them off at their knees, you're, you're, you're never going to build something that's bigger than you. Like I have truly built something that is so much bigger than me with my salon. Nobody even knows that I own it. They, all of them think that Rachel and Danielle own it. And I'm totally cool with that. 
because well, they get to have that acknowledgement. Like they are in their day-to-day running shit and I am just behind my computer and I'm building, building on to all the things that they utilize on a day-to-day basis and the things that they're going to experience six months from now. I create the cash flow, the revenue, the big thinking, and I support my leaders' mindsets. Like I'm really there to lead them and then they lead the rest of the team. And it has been really tough because I had to get used to like, I'm not front and center in the salon anymore. All of our guests don't know who I am. I showed up at our Christmas party last year and I didn't know four people, four people that were like, it was my first time ever meeting them. And that's, that part sucks. Like, I don't really like that because I'm a, I'm definitely a hermit, but I enjoy like people that I work with. Like I want to have relationships with them and become close to them. And it does make it tough. It it has been really hard, but I literally would not have it any other way because skill set that my salon gets to experience for me now is the best of what I have to offer. I am in the right seat, even though it hasn't always felt that way because I had to create my seat. And so did everybody else that has a title like that shit wasn't given to them when they're like, well, I don't really know what to do. I don't like, I don't really have any direction. I'd be like, you think I'm going to come up with direction for you? I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. I'm over here trying to figure out what my title is. You get to figure that on your own. So anybody that has a title in the company, they came up with that title themselves. They assigned that to them and then they became the title, including me. And and that's like true empowerment. Oh, yes, yes. I'm like, you want this, you want to make more money, you want to have more status, you want them to listen to you, then do the right work. Like, have those difficult conversations. Have the great conversations where you praise someone, even if it might be kind of hard for you to praise someone because you want to be praised. Like, it's our salon is definitely tough love. Like, it's, but man, it's the good kind of love. It's the love that, you know, has your freaking back and is going to tell you the truth. And also will help you out of any situation that you get yourself into. We just have the the most ultimate trust. And it takes that for the owner to move a thousand miles away and only go into the salon once a year. I mean, that place is my baby, my firstborn. Super important to me. Well, and as you're sharing that story too, it's, we could say in so many cases, the reason why that salon or that salon owner is not growing is because they're choosing to have their hands in every category and to control power. One million percent. That, that is why, yes, it's that. And it's that they're too scared to do the things. If a salon owner wants a profit margin of of $20,000, like for me, I don't really look at profit margin percentage for my company. I look at the dollars that are left over at the end of the month. So just the dollar revenue of profit, because there's sometimes I'm, I'm cool with having less than a 20% profit margin. If I know that I'm in growth mode and we just hired, you know, three or four people, or I just gave somebody a really big raise because they freaking deserved it. I'm totally cool with profit tanking a little bit, as long as we have the ability to get it back up because that person that I just gave the raise to, or the people that we just hired, they level out sales, you know, within the next six months. And as long as it meets a certain dollar requirement, so we can have money in our profit account to distribute amongst the salon. So I can take care of myself, my needs and my wants. Cause it's important that the owner does that as well. And I mean, ultimately I think that 
us doing that and us giving attention to our teams, how much money we have in the bank, profit, things like that. And the salon owner willing to release the control of the things that they really, really want to hold on to is pivotal in somebody's ability to succeed as a salon owner. That's incredible. It, you know, we've got to wrap up here soon, but I have a million other questions. You know, mm-hmm. I was so fortunate to be able to see you speak at Data Summit and you your topic was profit off the top. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. And yes. you you teach that a lot too. And oh, yeah. CEO, you know, yes. can can you speak a little bit about that as as you were mentioning about your profit margin? Yeah, for sure. So we um we got this idea ultimately from the book Profit First and love the concept. And we have definitely altered it in a way that a salon owner completely understands and works for the kind of overhead that a salon owner has. And so basically you've got different bank accounts and every time that you sit down to run payroll. So let's say if you run payroll every other week or even weekly, when you go to run payroll, you run it, you pay payroll, but then the money that, that says like, this is how much money is going to be extracted from your bank account to pay all of the payroll, including nobody ever thinks about this either payroll. So employer liabilities, payroll taxes, the owners pay, and then all of your experience providers. So not it's not just your service providers. It's everybody on your staff. Whatever that total amount of money is, it comes out of the payroll account. And then we have something called caps and taps. It's a, it's a spreadsheet on our company expense. It's a tab on our company expense sheet. And we go in and we type in what's the total revenue that came in for this last pay period. Let's say that that total revenue is $50,000. And then our payroll was $25,000. So then we type in $25,000 and it spits out what our current allocation for our payroll is, which is our cap, which would be 50%. It's pretty crazy because then an owner knows, okay, all this money that I just brought in, the cost of sales for that was at least 50%. I had to pay 50 or $25,000 for the people to actually do the work to even get that 50,000 to come in over this last two weeks. And then there's different allocations after that, where then we immediately move money to the profit account. So we've got like profit triggers, depending on how somebody's company, how they're doing financially right now, we start off at 5% though. So if anybody's in rich life CEO, as soon as they come in, we say at minimum 5%, you're going to move 5% over every time you run payroll. So they can immediately see okay, it is possible to have profit. So then 5% is moved over. So then you're at 55%. Then we move 3% over to taxes. I mean, last year in taxes, I owed $120,000. If I did not have money in my tax account, what happened to me the first year I was in business at Nipi, I owed 20 grand. And I was like, what? Because I didn't know anything about money. I was like, $20,000? 
Well, now I have so much money at the end of the year in my tax account. When the IRS tells me how much money I owe, it's very easy for me to just write a check because I have budgeted for all year every time I run payroll. And then the rest of the money in that account goes to our operating expenses. So you can see your current allocations every time you run payroll for how much money, how much money you're moving to your profit account, how much money you've moved to your payroll, how much money you've moved to your tax account, and how much is used for operating expenses. Now, sometimes you go to move money over to your operating expenses and you don't have enough money left over to pay all your bills. And that means you are running a company that cannot afford to have that many bills. So you have to cancel this demand force, whatever it is. I know I'm like calling, but it's like, there's a lot of things. And it's like, if it's a big enough priority and it saves you enough money, like there's this one girl who's doing Google ads. She was paying a lot of one of our students. I was like, okay, you're paying $350 a month for these Google ads. I want you to send me a report right now. And I want you to show me for the last three months, you paid 350. I want to see what your return on investment is. And that's going to dictate whether you're going to keep this expense on your company expense sheet. And luckily for her, she was bringing in $750 or more because of those ads. So it was a positive, it was an investment. It was not an expense. So we kept that on our company expenses, but that's a big part of Rich Life CEO. As soon as you come in, as soon as you come in, you fill out the company expense sheet so we can take a look at what's going on in your business and figure out what do we get to add to it in terms of more cash flow, but what can we eliminate because too much money is being spent? on stuff that's not needed. This is incredible. And I think that it's so, uh, it's it's so like great to know that where you started and where you are now, that because that you've done that, we know what to be true is that others can do it as well. Yes. And I yes. think that with the right leadership and support and understanding of the finances, that's really where you can start to make major changes and shifts in your business. Before we wrap things up, I want to know, you know, is there any, like any information about PIP University that you'd like our listeners to know, and then also how they can get in contact with you? Yeah. So PIP University, we have one course, Rich CEO, and it's a 12 month curriculum where you know, it's like, how, how do I explain this to where people be like, oh, damn, that's what I need. And we still really haven't hit the head on that. Like, how do we explain what this sucker really is? It's literally transformation. And it's been hard. I mean, that's how I really want to talk about it. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. It's so hard. It can be so confusing. But man, the people that the people that just stick with us, the people, the, the salons, the students that are willing to embrace the stock. What we do with their revenue and their salon is freaking insane. It's, I mean, and sometimes I have to pinch myself because I'll be in their company expense sheet and I'll be looking and I'm like, do you realize that in one year we have increased your revenue by $15,000 every single month and we've increased your profit margin by 6%? And some of them don't even know that. And that's just like bare minimum. I mean, it is like, but transformation is not fun. It's not easy. And you mentioned earlier, there's education out there and there's great education out there from tons of people. But is it like really being implemented in salons? That is how we are different. All of us are salon owners. 
So we know what the hell we're talking about because we do this on a day-to-day basis with our own salons, all of us. But then it we're so expensive and we're expensive because we have to be able to afford our infrastructure to ensure that you're implementing this in your salon. This is, it's not do it yourself. It's not like we make sure that this stuff is happening in your business. We have the login to your salon software. We have direct relationship with your accountant. We're getting in your all Slack workspaces, communicating with your team. It's unlike anything else. It's a lot of effort and a lot of work, but it's the only way that we know this stuff is going to get done in your salon. Because if it's not, then everything that you've learned is a waste of money or everything you've invested in is just a waste. So that's really the you know, spiel on Rich Life CEO, but we, our website, and you can find out more about Rich Life CEO on our website is PIP. So P-I-P, pip-university.com. And then we're on Instagram at PIP University. Is it PIP-university? I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) If it's not PIP University, then it's at PIP- I think it's at PIP University. Uh, we will, we will find out and I'll make sure to, um, make to sure that exactly. in the show notes. Yeah. Is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? Man, I would just say the thing that you don't want to do. And the thing that scares you the most is the thing that you get to do and you get to do it, not just for yourself, but if you're a salon owner and you took on the responsibility to bring other people into your charge, they deserve that. People leave when they work for someone that doesn't have a big vision like them or their vision becomes bigger. And when you've got salon owners that are scared to do things that will give their entire team the platform to experience the most success that they could ever imagine, if you're not willing to do that as a salon owner, you know, you can expect your heavy hitters to leave because they need someone that thinks bigger than them. They need someone breathing life into them, caring more about their future. Than they care about it themselves. And so usually, I mean, it's so hard to like turn a company on its back and raise your prices, go to, you know, charging based on time, doing all these different things that we teach in Rich Life CEO. It's scary to do that. But I always go back to, well, how bad do you want it? if you talk about you want this and you want to experience that and you don't want to be working behind the chair that often. And, you know, at the end of every month, you want $20,000 or $30,000, or you as a salon owner want to be able to take home, take home $15,000 a month. How bad do you want that? Because this is what it takes. And if you're not willing to do it, then you don't want it that bad. And that's okay. But then just admit that to yourself. And that's not an easy decision at all, but I, there's so many people that tell us that it's impossible. When we were at data driven, Jennifer and Jen and I were on stage, there was many people in that audience that were not salon salon owners, but they were distributors and manufacturers. And they were saying what these girls are talking about is impossible. This is wrong. This is wrong information. And one of our year two students was sitting in front of them and she had her iPad pulled up and she turned around and gave them her iPad and showed them her company expense sheet month after month being above a 20% profit margin. And I'm like, it's not impossible and it's not wrong. You have people in the industry now that are new legacy salon owners and they have become innovative enough and they are not listening to what can and can't be done from salons that 
came to be in 1980 is a different ball field. And I know that's probably controversial, but I just don't give a damn. I work, I work too hard and I push myself to embrace the suck and to walk through the fear. Have anybody else tell me that something is impossible? No, no. So all the salon owners that are listening out there, listening out there, there's nothing that if you're thinking about in your head, you can achieve it. That you can, I mean, it is a surefire thing. You can achieve it, but are you going to walk through the fear in order to be able to grasp it? That's the real question. Mm. That's it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much, Heather, for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. And we hope to have you back on the show again sometime because I still had like 30 other questions <laughs> to ask I you. I know, and I talked so long. Like I just... When you ask, like, what are the best, well, is there anything you, I'm like, I know everything that you asked me. I'm going to be like, ooh, I definitely want to talk about that. And that's exactly what happened. So <laughs> valuable. I love it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Heather. Make sure to follow Heather at, on Instagram and um, check out PIP University. If you are wanting to transform your business, make sure to get connected with her and her professors. Thanks, Heather. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you are loving these episodes, I would appreciate a review on your experience of how this podcast is helping you grow your business so that others just like yourself can learn, grow, and be a part of the podcast. I'd love to get connected with my listeners, so make sure to join me in the free Facebook group where you'll find a community of like-minded beauty professionals that want to grow their business and careers. I'll share with you my top tips, Q&As, and when new podcasts are released. Thank you again for your love and support. It's an honor to be a part of your business building journey.